So our gospel text this morning is from Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. Jesus began to speak in the synagogue at Nazareth. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But Jesus passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the gospel of the Lord. So today's gospel reading is the second half of a story that we started last Sunday. Last week, we were with Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth, listening to him give his first sermon to his hometown friends. You remember the sermon, the one in which Jesus quotes from Isaiah, saying the spirit has landed upon him and that he now understands his task in life. Jesus is to bring good news to the poor, to liberate the captives, restore sight to the blind, and offer freedom and wholeness to all. Luke tells us that the crowd is amazed, at least at first. But then things turn a little ugly. The, cloud, the crowd is delighted to hear Jesus' message of redemption and that he has apparently already done miraculous works elsewhere in places like Capernaum. But they want proof. They want proof in their own hometown. It's one thing to hear a good sermon about God's saving grace, but the proof is in the pudding. And the crowd demands that they receive a sign of God's blessing. Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum, they say to him. They want evidence of Jesus' claims. And in particular, they want the hometown boy to bless his hometown friends and family first before he goes off to save the world. And here is where Jesus' message challenges and ultimately enrages them. In effect, Jesus explains that God does not work this way. Grace is not to be manipulated by those who believe they deserve its favor. God's saving grace is unbidden. It comes unexpectedly and freely, and it falls upon those who in purely human terms often seem the least deserving of its benefits. 
And to illustrate this point, Jesus reminds the crowd of two well-known stories from the Hebrew scriptures, the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, and the story of Elisha healing the Syrian warrior Naaman. These stories deserve our attention because understanding them both explains why the crowd gets upset, and that also gives us an important insight into the nature of Jesus' mission. In the first story, in the midst of a great famine, Elijah is commanded by God to visit a Gentile woman in Sidon, and not just any woman, but a poor widow on the brink of starvation. And even though the widow and her young son are literally down to their last meal, God commands her to feed Elijah. Bewildered and confused by the command, the widow nevertheless trusts in what she hears. And then somehow, in the midst of their desperation, in the midst of utter scarcity, God provides enough food for Elijah, the woman, and her son to eat. And not only that, but when the widow's son then suddenly falls ill and appears to succumb to death, God works through Elijah to breathe new life into the boy. The great prophet Elijah begins his public ministry not by breaking bread with his kin, with the chosen people of Israel, but instead is directed by God to reach out first to the stranger. Elijah is sent by God not to rescue the elite or the elect or the devout, but first he is sent to a foreign nation, to a forsaken widow and her starving little boy, to the least of the least. The second story Jesus mentions, Elisha's healing of Naaman, develops the same theme but pushes it even further. Naaman is the commander-in-chief of the Aramaeans, a powerful enemy of Israel's. Naaman's problem is that notwithstanding his power, he has contracted leprosy. Elisha reaches out to Naaman through a messenger and tells Naaman that bathing seven times in the river Jordan can heal him. Naaman at first is furious, thinking that there is nothing special about the river Jordan and that many of the rivers back home in his nation of Syria are every bit as impressive as the Jordan. But Naaman's servants prevail on him to listen to Elisha. And so Naaman goes down to the Jordan and does what he is told. And sure enough, Naaman's leprosy vanishes. He is healed. The last person on earth we would expect the faithful God of Israel to heal is the military commander of one of Israel's fiercest enemies. It's one thing to extend hospitality and healing to a stranger, to a vulnerable widow like the one in Zarephath, but it's quite another to save the warrior of one's bitter enemy. And yet such is the mysterious and unexpected nature of God's grace. So why does Jesus cite these two Old Testament stories to the hometown crowd in Nazareth? They are, I suggest, classic border-crossing stories, showing how God's power and love refuses to honor human boundaries and seeks to push us out of our own prejudices and fears. 
try as we might to erect social boundaries that separate that separate the clean from the unclean or the deserving from the undeserving, try as we might to fashion political boundaries to separate the good guys from the bad guys, the white hats from the black hats, God refuses to be contained by our line drawing. God works not within the boundaries imposed by human conceit, but across and beyond all such boundaries. The hometown crowd was apparently expecting Jesus to focus his power upon them first. They may well have shared the prevailing expectation of a Messiah for the Jewish people first and foremost, a new king to reclaim Israel's kingdom from Roman rule. Yet by citing these two simple stories, Jesus is telling the good people of Nazareth that his mission knows no political boundaries, that he comes not as a new Davidic king for a restored Israel, but instead a prince of peace for all humanity, a savior whose loving arms seek to embrace not only the vulnerable, but even those we regard as enemies. Much as we would like to reserve God's grace only for ourselves, and those people we like and who look like us, we are explicitly invited by Jesus in today's gospel lesson to look hard at all the boundaries, borders, and other lines we draw in a misguided attempt to limit God's grace. As a wise preacher once put it, Anytime we try to draw a line in the sand, Jesus is invariably on the other side of it. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.